text for the sermon this morning is found in the book of Acts. And we'll be largely considering Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 22. But I actually want to start our reading in Acts 4, starting in verse 36. This is some important context to, to what we read of happening in Acts chapter 5. Let's turn our minds and our hearts to the reading of God's word as we find it in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 36. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold the possession He kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God." And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. The young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. The young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church, and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, yet none of the rest dared to join them. But the people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. One of the reasons I won the first sermon series I preached in Oklahoma City to be the Acts of the Apostles was because it's truly exciting to read and hear about how the risen and ascended Christ builds his church. We've seen how Christ has worked by his Spirit through the preaching of the gospel to bring men and women to faith. And we've seen how the church has grown from a small group of men and women consisting of about 120 people to now in in Acts chapter 4. Now there's 5,000 men in the church. 
That's not counting the women and children. If we were to include the women and children, the number is probably around 10,000 people, from 120 people to 10,000 people, and all in the space of several weeks. Truly, the Lord was doing wondrous things in the early church. It's a very exciting time for us here in Oklahoma City. We have many reasons to rejoice. The Lord is growing his church. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be admitting our first members. The Lord has been kind and, and gracious to us in granting us a, a unity and a love for the brethren. We have times of sweet communion with each other and when we gather together to worship the Lord, we, we get to rejoice in the wonder of his, of his salvation. We can truly say with the psalmist in Psalm 126, verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. But we must also be on guard. Though the church is growing, Satan is ever attacking the church. Times of prosperity and growth in the church are often attended by times of temptation and attack. We've already seen from Acts 3 and 4 how the church had to deal with persecution from the beginning. But attacks don't just come from the outside of the church. Our text demonstrates that Satan attacks the church from the inside as well. Ananias and Sapphira were, were... People who made a profession of Christ, they were, they were part of the number. Acts 5 shows us that there will be sin in the church, and that the church is to be on guard against such sin. This is a very important and timely reminder for us. We, as a church, are growing. We're very excited and have good reason to be excited about that. We need to be especially on guard against temptation, against pride, against hypocrisy. We need to be watchful against the deceit of Satan. Instead, we need to have a godly fear that trusts the Lord to preserve and defend his church. And so let's consider Acts chapter 5 this morning, hearing this call to be on guard against sin and Satan by having a godly fear. Be on guard against sin and Satan by having a godly fear. As we rejoice as a church in the great things that God has done for us, we must be on guard against sin. Acts 5 contains a very sobering account of a husband and wife conspiring together to sin against the Lord. Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of land, and they gave part of the proceeds that they had gotten from that land to the church. They lied. They told Peter that they were given the entire amount they got from the sale of their land to the church. And so Peter, knowing from God that they had lied, asked Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Ananias and Sapphira had said one thing and they had done another. Because of their sin, the Lord killed them both. Our text says that they fell down, breathed their last, and were buried that very same day. 
As we hear this history, it's important to clarify what their sin was not. Their sin was not that they sold their land and and did not give it all to the church. One can sell their possessions and keep hold of some or, or even all of the earnings from that sale for their own personal use. Peter told Ananias in verse 4, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own possession? The early church was not compelling people to sell their possessions and, and give it to them. Nor was the church threatening people with death if they not give them all their money. The church recognized and respected the God-given right to personal property. Rather, their sin was that they had lied. Peter is very clear about this. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Ananias and Sapphira were killed for lying. Now you might think, wasn't that an overreaction? Yes, they sinned. But wasn't it too severe to kill them for their sin? After all, haven't we all told lies before? Unbelievers, those who are new to the Scripture, might might read this passage and and have a degree of shock. What's going on here? Their sin wasn't that, that serious. Wasn't that harmful? And the church was even benefiting, in a sense. They, they were getting money from these people. How could God kill them for such a thing? And friends, such an attitude towards sin reminds us that we do not have the perspective that God has about our sins. What we might consider small and inconsequential sins are an affront to the perfect holiness of God. See, every single sin we commit is deserving of the wrath and judgment of God, regardless of whether it harms somebody or not. Adam and Eve were told that the day they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. Ezekiel 18 verse 20 says, The soul that sins, it shall die. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. It does not matter whether it is what we might term a a big sin or, or a small sin. Every sin deserves death. Sin, which is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God, deserves death. When it comes to sin, our perspective of what constitutes a serious sin does not matter. Our perspective of what is and is not a sin does not matter. God's perspective matters. And God's word also tells us that there are different gradations of sin. Yes, every sin deserves death. But there are some sins that are more serious than other sins. This is brought out in this history. Ananias and Sapphira lied. And yet this was no ordinary lie. What made this lie so heinous was that they lied to the Holy Spirit. When Peter confronts them about their sin, he is not concerned and does not even mention that the fact that they have lied to him as an apostle. 
No, he says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. All the focus is on that and in them, on them testing God. That begs the question, what is lying to the Holy Spirit? Well, them lying to the Holy Spirit, Ananias and Sapphira were pretending that a grace that only the Holy Spirit can give was a grace that they had. And here, to understand that, we, we need to pull in that, the, the account that we read of in Acts 4 of, of Barnabas. There, in verses 36 of, and 37 of Acts 4, we read, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostle, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas had a love for the Lord. He had a love for the church. And he went and sold his land and gave it to the church. And this was a selfless, sacrificial love. And such love could only be produced by the work of the Holy Spirit in, in Barnabas's heart. After all, true Christian love is a work of the Spirit of God. In 1 John 4, verse 12 through 13, we read that if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his Spirit. In other words, if we want to know if God abides in us, we will love one another. And that love with which we love one another is a result of the Spirit of God working in our hearts and, and producing that love. Notice that, that John is saying this in the context of telling us not to believe every spirit, but, but he's calling us to test the spirits. There's different spirits out there. There are spirits seeking to be counterfeits of the Holy Spirit. There, there are false prophets out there pretending that they have the Holy Spirit. And Ananias and Sapphira were, in a sense, false prophets pretending to have the Spirit when they had nothing of the Holy Spirit. They were seeking to counterfeit the love that only the Spirit can give. They saw the love with, with which Barnabas loved the church, and they saw how his love was esteemed by and valued by the church, and they won that same honor for themselves. They loved the praise of men more than they loved the church. They wanted the church to serve them by, by giving them a place of honor, giving them a special name like the early church gave Barnabas. He used to be known as Joseph. But the apostles called him son of encouragement because they recognized, here, here's a man who's an encouragement to us. He was given a name. And they wanted a special name like Barnabas. And so they lied they sold their land, and under a guise of righteousness, under a guise of Christian love, they said that they were giving everything to the church. They were hypocrites, pretending a measure of holiness that only the Spirit of God can produce. They had a form of godliness, but they had no substance to their profession of Christ. 
This should be a most sobering warning to us. This is a passage that should cause us to examine our own hearts. It's caused me to to examine my own heart and and see, am, am I trying to counterfeit something here? Am I just being superficial? We live in an age of fakeness and and superficiality. Very easy for us to be one person throughout the rest of the week and a, a completely different person on Sunday or when we're gathered together with the church. Very easy for us to be one person on social media and a completely different person in our day-to-day lives, in, our, in our, our public lives, in our private lives. Very easy for us to be one person at work and another person at home with our families. On social media, we can quote Bible verses and, and great theologians and be praised for our knowledge of Scripture. We can know this argument and that argument for particular doctrines. We can advocate them with ease and skill. Then we go home and we engage in secret sins. No sins nobody else knows about. Don't show love to our families. We say cruel words to our wives. We have little to no personal relationship with the Lord other than to get likes and follows on social media. Commit sins that nobody else knows about while at the same time being esteemed as godly men and women in the church. We do understand that such superficial religion is an affront to the holiness of God. Ananias and Sapphira were slain by the, by the Lord for their pretended holiness. And we, as a people of God, must take such a warning to heart. May it never be that we are superficial in our faith. May it never be that we are, are counterfeiting the work of the Spirit. May we ever pray, Lord, keep me from hypocrisy. If you do see hypocrisy in your own heart, repent of your sin and know that the Lord forgives sin. Know that this was written as a warning to us, a warning to us to flee, flee from the wrath and flee to the Lord, to rest and, and, and find our righteousness, not in our own good works, not in our knowledge, not in in our abilities, but to find our righteousness in Christ and Christ alone. Psalm 65 says, Iniquities have prevailed against me. But as for my transgressions, the Lord has made atonement for them. Let us find our atonement in the Lord and in the Lord alone. As we take note of our sins, as we are sobered by the times that we We are hypocritical. As we turn in repentance and faith to God, asking God to forgive our sins for the sake of Christ, we must also be on guard against Satan. Satan is one of the the key players here in this text. 
Sometimes we can lose sight of that because, uh, we, because of Ananias and Sapphira and, and Peter. But, but the, the focal point is on Satan and his work in attacking the church here. You must understand that we are engaged in spiritual warfare as a church. There are battles raging which our eyes cannot see. And similar battles were taking place in the early church. You need to understand that the giving of Ananias and Sapphira was no operation of the Holy Spirit. Their pretended love of the church was not of the Spirit. Instead, it was the work of a most unholy spirit. This was the work of that great deceiver of old, the very one who had deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. This deceiver was none other than Satan himself. As Peter asks, why has Satan, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? What's happening here in our text is that Satan is making an attempt to discredit the work of the Holy Spirit and the witness of the early church. If Satan could show that the love of the early church could be duplicated in others, then the work of the Holy Spirit would be no different than any other spirit. If Satan could show that the love of the church was just a love that was self-serving and self-seeking, well then, the early church would be no different than the countless other religions. After all, if Ananias and Sapphira had lied and had given their money to the church out of selfish and self-seeking motives, well, who's to say Barnabas gave in the purity of his love? Who's to say all these other people in the church gave in in the integrity of their hearts? The integrity of the church is at stake here in the book of Acts. Thus, the Lord needed to respond to this attack of Satan on the church in a clear and unmistakably powerful way. The Lord needed to demonstrate that this was false. This was a lie. This is not what the church is. The Lord needed to cleanse and purify his church. And Ananias and Sapphira being killed for their sin. The Lord was demonstrating that the love of the early church is not a love that can be produced apart from the Holy Spirit. The Lord was also demonstrating that this was a love that is completely distinct from anything else. This was the demonstration that the Holy Spirit was was completely distinct from all other spirits. That the Holy Spirit was God himself at work. This is not just some new religion on the block they could add to the thousands of other religions. No, this was the one true religion. This was the one true way and the only way by which men must be saved. This love could not be counterfeited. This is similar to what 
to what we see happening in Exodus 7. In Exodus 7, Moses and Aaron are appearing before Pharaoh. And they are asking Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go and to worship the Lord. And Pharaoh asks Moses and Aaron for a sign. A sign to show, well, show me that your God is real. Show me that the Lord is God. And so Aaron throws down his rod onto the ground, and, and his rod becomes a snake. Then Pharaoh calls his, his own magicians, and uh, he tells his magicians, well, duplicate this. Uh, throw down your rods. And, and the magicians did that, and, and they threw down their rods, and they became snakes as well. But there was a distinction between Aaron's rod and their rods. Aaron's snake ate all of the Egyptian snakes and showed that you might try to, to counterfeit this miracle. You might try to counterfeit the work of God's Spirit. But your counterfeits lack, no, lack all substance. There's no substance to them. There's no authenticity to them. There's no power and authority with them. Love of Ananias and Sapphira was a counterfeit, a satanically produced counterfeit for true Christian love. And today, Satan continues to try to make substitutes for the work of the Holy Spirit. Our minds can... Reminds us, reformed people can quickly jump to prosperity, gospel preachers, or, or faith healers. We can think of men like Benny Hinn, T.D. Jakes, Kenneth Copeland, and Joel Osteen. All of these men have, have a form of godliness, but no substance to them. They have a taste of religiosity and the work of the Spirit, but have no substance. Their ministries are devoid of the gospel and devoid of the spirit. They're mere counterfeits. We all must also be aware that such things can happen in Reformed churches as well. Men who know their theology inside and out, but have no living relationship with the Lord. They're counterfeiting the work of the Spirit of God with an abundance of knowledge. Anybody can gain knowledge. Anybody can know how to argue and debate. Anyone can know how to articulate the, the truths of the Christian religion. That's not enough. There needs to be that work of God's Spirit in your heart, making you a new creation, causing you to be born again. Nothing can replicate that. We need to be on guard against the attacks by Satan. Acts 5 is a great lesson for us in how Satan operates during growth. During rejoicing, Satan comes in and, and seeks to destroy and decimate. 
This happened in the Garden of Eden. As Adam and Eve are seeking to take dominion over the earth, here they were living in perfection. And what happens? Satan comes in and deceives Eve. This happened when Israel was entering the promised land. As we read earlier in Joshua 6 and 7, Israel had just won this victory. They have, they have already claimed the lands on the other side of the Jordan. And now they're starting to make their way into the, the land of Canaan. And they had this great victory at Jericho. But Satan was there, deceiving the heart of Achan, making him covetous over the accursed things. And this happens in the early church. While sinners were being saved, while, while people were being baptized, while the church was growing exponentially, while signs and wonders were being done, Satan comes in and deceives Ananias and Sapphira. And they deceive the church. During times of growth, Satan has many ways to tempt us. We can get too comfortable thinking all is well. See, you start thinking the, the gospel, the kingdom of God is advancing and Satan is on the run. We think all is well. There's a, a Dutch saying that uh, goes like this. It says, uh, Satan doesn't enter the church wearing wooden shoes. In other words, Satan doesn't enter the church noisily. He enters very quietly and deceitfully and craftily, and that means we should be on our guard. When the church is growing, there's the temptation to start trusting in man more than in God. We must be vigilant when all things seem to be well, because that's when Satan strikes. He goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, this does not mean that we start viewing our brothers and sisters in Christ with suspicion. Not at all. That's one way that division starts within the pride of Christ. We are to love one another and to esteem each other better than ourselves. It is pride that causes us to view each other with suspicion. Instead, we need to be like the disciples. Disciples in, in Matthew 26, when Christ told them that one of them would betray him, they responded by being exceedingly sorrowful and asking Jesus, Lord, is it I? Am I going to be the one who's going to be betraying you? Is it I? This is the response of, of humility. This is the response we should have when we hear this warning that Satan attacks from inside the church. We should be all be asking ourselves, Lord, is it I? And then we must set to that work of prayer. Christ told Peter that, that Satan wanted to sift him like wheat. That he had prayed for Peter. That Peter would be preserved. Prayer keeps us from the attacks of the evil one. The Lord delivers us through prayer from him. Let's pray that we will be delivered from the evil one. Finally, as we are on guard against sin and Satan, we must be on guard by having a godly fear. 
By godly fear, I mean a fear that rests on God and trusts in God for salvation. Our text speaks several times about fear. In verse 5, we read that after Ananias heard the words of Peter, that he fell down and breathed his last, so great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And in verse 11, after Sapphira died, we, we read, so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And I want us, us to know three things from Three things about godly fear from our text. The first is that godly fear does not seek to counterfeit the work of God's Spirit. Neither Ananias and Sapphira had a godly fear for the Lord. They treated God, Christianity, and the early church as some sort of machine whereby they could get what they wanted. They used God in the church. They did not have a reverence for the name of God. This especially comes out in the lack of guilt or fear that Sapphira had. You see this in, in, that af, in, that, in that three hours after Ananias dies, Sapphira comes to the apostles without any real concern about where her husband is. One would think that well, after not seeing her husband for three hours, well, you know, maybe something happened. Maybe the apostles found out about their sin. Maybe they've been discovered. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's something serious going on here. But Sapphira doesn't seem to have any indication of, of guilt or, or fear. She lacked godly fear to such an extent that it does not even seem that her tr- conscience was trouble, troubled or that she felt guilt over the lack of seeing her husband. Instead, when Peter asks her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much, she said blatantly and without hesitation, yes, for so much. Godly fear does not seek to counterfeit the work of God's Spirit, for it is a fear that believes that that God is sovereign, that God is powerful, and that God is judge over all things. This is the sort of fear that causes us to, to rejoice with trembling, as Psalm 2 puts it. This is the sort of fear that, that recognizes that God is far above us and that he is to be worshipped with reverence. We should have a reverence for God. That reverence for God will even sometimes demonstrate itself by having guilt and fear that. We have at times been hypocritical in our faith. Godly fear will be a fear that causes us to examine our own hearts. It will cause us to to wonder, have I served the Lord in in integrity? I know my heart is, is deceitfully wicked. I know that I'm a sinner. Have I served the Lord in integrity? Godly fear has a humility about it that does not seek to counterfeit the work of God's Holy Spirit. We also notice that godly fear causes one to join the church. After Ananias and Sapphira were killed, there could be the understandable fear to not join the church. There would certainly be the recognition that God is not to be trifled with. 
that this is serious. This is life and death serious. Church membership is something that is serious. But a fear that keeps one from joining to the church is not a godly fear. We read in verse 12 through 14, And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, yet none of the rest dared join them. None of the rest dared join them. These people esteemed the church highly. They saw its love. They saw how it was unique from from every other religion. They esteemed it highly, but they did not join. Fear kept them from joining the church, and this was not a godly fear. These people should have joined the church. They should have repented of their sins and believed in Christ for salvation. That these people had a faithless fear. They feared the judgment of God more than they believed in the grace of God to forgive their sins. Well, they respected and esteemed the church highly for its love. They did not esteem the grace of God highly. We must be jealous for that, that, that grace of God. We must see that, that God does indeed save the sinners. These people counted the cost of serving Christ too high and so did not join to the church. That is a sad thing. Godly fear should should produce in us a desire to join to a branch of Christ's church. It should produce in our hearts a, a desire to be with other believers. Finally, godly fear believes in the power of God to save Even though God had killed Ananias and Sapphira, the Lord continued to work a mighty miracle through the apostles. The death of Ananias and Sapphira did not keep people from seeing that the Lord saves sinners. People came in throngs to be healed by the Spirit and to have unclean spirits cast out of them. People had such faith in God that they hoped that even the shadow of Peter passing over them would heal them of whatever ailments they had. True godly fear does not stop at fear, but it moves on to faith. It believes that God saves from sin. That he is an awesome and a majestic God, full of glory, infinitely above us. But he has condescended to show love and mercy towards us. He has condescended to us, chiefly in sending the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to die for our sins, to be born of the Virgin Mary and die of our sins and be resurrected on the third day. True godly fear does not stop at fear, but it moves on to faith. And so, in conclusion, let us ever be on guard against sin. Let us ever be on guard against the attacks of Satan against the church. And let us be on guard by having a godly fear. A godly fear that that loves Jesus Christ. That loves the church. Let us worship the Lord with fear and trembling. 
Let us honor his great and glorious name, for he has provided atonement for us. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you. And Lord, you have called us as the church in this world to, to be the church militant. You have called us to be engaged in warfare as a church. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us to that end, that we would ever be on guard against sin in our own lives. Lord, keep us from hypocrisy. Keep us from superficiality. Grant, Lord, that by your grace we would serve you in integrity. Lord, Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Lord, protect us from the evil one. Deliver us from Satan. Lord, you reign over all. You reign over Satan himself. And Lord, we pray that you would be subduing him under your feet. That your kingdom of grace would advance with might and power and with great victory. And Lord, that your kingdom of glory would hasten the day of its coming, that we might be delivered from this world of of sin and temptation, this world of sorrow and tears, might dwell in perfection with you forever, being able to beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. Lord, hasten the day of your glory and grant, Lord, that we would ever have a godly fear, that we'd ever trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And nothing would move us from trusting in him. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.